Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our lead pastor, Chris Figueretti, for this week's message. Well, happy Mother's Day and welcome to the Vineyard. So excited that you're here. I want to start out by just saying to the moms, thank you for making us and thank you for raising us. We uh, would not be here without you. And, and really, every day should be Mother's Day because uh, we owe you uh, so much and we're so grateful for you. So today we're going to be looking at the story of when Jesus comes home for Mother's Day. And that's found in Mark chapter 6. So open your Bible, whether you have a digital device or paper Bible, open up to Mark chapter 6. We're going to be in verse 1. Uh, and Jesus comes home for Mother's Day is the title of the passage. Okay, not really, because Mother's Day didn't really start until 1908 in Grafton, West Virginia. That's where it was invented. It's a West Virginia homegrown celebration. Uh, But we'll go with it happening in Nazareth, right? So Jesus does come home to Nazareth, and there's all kinds of fun dynamics going on around that. He has been the talk of the town for some time now. Jesus is, he moved from Nazareth to Capernaum, just a a little ways away, right on the Sea of Galilee, and he started his public ministry. When he left, he was a carpenter. Uh, But things had changed, and and everybody is talking about Jesus. There are all kinds of miracles he's performing that they've heard about back home, you know? He's raised a dead dead person back to life. He has uh, healed blind people. He's healed lame people. He's calmed storms, and the stories are flying around everywhere. He is a national celebrity, not just in the Galilee region where Nazareth is and Capernaum is, but all the way down to Jerusalem. People are talking about Jesus and his teaching was amazing. And so the people of Nazareth, I think they had a, some mixed emotions about Jesus. One is they were just really proud, you know? I mean, Nazareth, there wasn't much going on in Nazareth. It was a small, small town, a handful of families maybe. And um, nobody had really heard of Nazareth. The people who have didn't think much of Nazareth. So when somebody from a small town does, does good, you know, it's, it's small town pride, right? It's, it's hashtag Nazareth proud. Jesus was, was the buzz of the town, and now he's coming back. Kind of reminds me of, um, of Brad Paisley, right? You know, Brad Paisley in the Ohio Valley, he, he has become an international sensation. He is a big deal. He has done the Ohio Valley proud. A couple years ago, I was at a church conference uh, down in Cincinnati, and uh, at the conference, the um, they had uh, different speakers, and one of the speakers was a guy named Dave Ramsey. And Dave Ramsey uh, is a nationally known uh, syndicated radio host. He talks a lot about personal finance and helps people get out of debt and win financially. And he happens to be a Christian and uses biblical principles in his teaching. And so he was, t- he was doing this lunch presentation just for uh, church leaders, and we were invited to attend. So Julie Meredith and I went to this lunch, and we were the first people in the room. So Dave's standing there, we walk in, and I've watched Dave Ramsey uh, do Financial Peace University. We offer that course here uh, ongoing, regularly. Hopefully we'll have one coming up again soon. But at any rate, 
We walk in and there's Dave Ramsey, like in the flesh. And we introduce ourselves and he's like, where are you from? We said, well, we're from Wheeling, West Virginia. And he lit up and he's like, Wheeling, West Virginia. He goes, you know, Brad Paisley's my next door neighbor. And we get together for cookouts all the time. And we kind of puffed up and like, yeah, Ohio Valley proud, you know? I mean, Brad Paisley, big deal. And, uh, but you know what? The thing about Brad is over the years, I have heard people in the Ohio Valley talk Brad down. You know, like, oh, I knew him when he was just a punk kid, or he's not that great of a player. Roger Horde, who, who trained him, if you know Roger, Roger's an amazing player, and he was uh, Brad's uh, guitar teacher. Oh, he's much better, you know, and people talk down Brad. And I think you get this kind of mix of emotions when you have a hometown hero. And Nazareth was much smaller. Everybody knew Jesus. Uh, you know, he was the kid that grew up next door. And so you have this dynamic going on. And unlike Brad... Jesus brings religion to the table, right? Politics and religion, you want to you stir things up, bring politics and religion into the mix, and that's what, what Jesus did as well. See, he left, he left as a carpenter, he came home as a rabbi. He's got his 12 disciples with him, and in their culture, a rabbi is the highest level of prestige that you can have, but not only that, people are talking about the fact that he might be the chosen one of God, the one that God was going to send to redeem Israel. So you got that going on top. And so there's this, this mix of things, going, mix of dynamics going on as Jesus comes back to Nazareth. Now, I think Mary must have been really proud. I mean, you know, she knew Jesus was special going all the way back to when the angel told her she was going to have Jesus and that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel and all of that. And, but, but not everybody had seen that. You know, Jesus was kind of flying under the radar for 30 years, working as a carpenter or a carpenter's apprentice. And, and, uh, and so, but now the cat, cat's kind of out of the bag and Mary's like, this is going to be awesome but it doesn't really go awesome, and that's what we're going to look at today. So I've given you time to get to Mark chapter 6. Hopefully you're there now. I want you to read along with me as we read this passage, and this is what it says. It says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this... The carpenter, so things shift, it, it pivots right here. It starts with, isn't this amazing? And where did he get these things? And isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the, bro- and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And then it says, they took offense at him. And so you see this mix of emotions. See, they knew him, and, and it kind of turns bad from here. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them, which in my book is a miracle, but but not as many as he was doing elsewhere. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Let me pray for us, and then I want to dive in and pull this apart verse by verse and really see what God has to teach us today. Lord, would you uh, open our ears to hear and our hearts to perceive what it is that that you're saying through your word and through this passage for us. I pray that each person would hear what you're saying to them today, and you'd open my mouth and put the words in there, Lord, um, that this this message would would change uh, who we are and how we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it says in verse 1, Jesus left there and went to his hometown. 
he was just in Capernaum. Remember, he healed Jairus' daughter and the woman with bleeding, and, and he was hanging out in Capernaum, which was his new hometown, but he's going back to his childhood home, and that's where he heads, and it says he was accompanied by his disciples. Rabbis had disciples. Rabbis were te- religious teachers. They had their disciples. If you had disciples, you were a rabbi. Jesus is no longer the carpenter. He is, he has made it. He is a, he is a rabbi with students and the whole shebang. And it says, when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. Now, if you look in Luke chapter 4, and I want to encourage you to read Luke chapter 4 this week because it is another account of this same thing, and Luke goes into some more details. But one of the things that it says is that Jesus went to the synagogue as was his custom. It's what, it's what he did regularly. Now, if Jesus felt like the need to go to the synagogue regularly, um, how much more do we? Now, let me back up just for a second and, and explain what a synagogue is. A synagogue is it's kind of like a church. Anywhere there were more than 10 Hebrew or Jewish families, they had a synagogue, and they would gather there on the Sabbath. They would go to Jerusalem, to the temple for the big celebrations a handful of times a year, but they would every Sabbath day, they would gather, and they would study God's word, and they would worship God, and they would focus their lives on God on the Sabbath. And Jesus, it was his custom to go to the synagogue every, every Sabbath, every Sabbath. Now, um, I believe God gave us the Sabbath, the idea of the Sabbath, one, because we need rest, and we have covered that a lot here at the Vineyard. Our bodies need rest, or God made us to need to recharge and to rest and recover. But I think the second reason that God gave us the Sabbath, he said to keep it holy unto God, to focus our lives on God on that day. And that's because we have so many messages and so much input coming into our lives, competing to shape our lives, to shape our worldview, to shape the way we see things around us and the way we respond, that if we don't have an anchor point in our week to come back and focus it on God and let God's word shape our lives, we will be shaped by all the messaging coming in around us. You know, with the average American now spending 10 hours a day in front of a screen, we have a lot of input coming into our our lives. And the average American churchgoer now goes to church one, somewhere between 1.4 and 1.6 times a month. That means that if you're average, you're an average churchgoer, you go to church somewhere between 16 and 18 hours a year. 10 hours a day with all the messaging and everything else that's coming at us, and 16 to 18 hours a year focusing your life on God. Guys, if Jesus needed to make that his regular practice, to make it, how much more do we need to do that? How much more do we need to come back weekly to that anchor point and focus our lives on God and worshiping God and allowing him to shape the way we see the world? Super important. Side point, but super important. Well, it goes on. It says in, in verse three, isn't the, the, the people that are there like, isn't this the carpenter? Wait a second. I mean, he does all these miracles, and he's got this amazing teaching, but, but isn't this just, isn't this guy the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. They took offense at him. They're like, you know, how do you have faith in the, 
in the punk kid who grew up next door. Like everybody in Nazareth knew Jesus. They, they knew, you know, when he tripped on the, on the playground, they knew, you know, they knew everything about him. How do, how do you put your faith in the guy that built your kitchen table? You know, how, how does somebody go from carpenter to rabbi to Messiah? Come on, we know this guy. Which leads me to my first point, and I want you to pull out your, your journal if you got one and write this down, write these points down because they are so important. The first one is this, familiarity can breed contempt, can also breed um, complacency, but familiarity can breed contempt. They knew him. They knew everything about him. They'd been with him for 30 years. He was, he was a carpenter. <laughs> and, and so they took offense now that he comes back and he's kind of a rock star, right? He, 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 Messiah? And if you go and you read Luke in chapter, chapter 4 of Luke, he pretty much says he's the Messiah. He reads a passage out of Isaiah and that's all about the Messiah. And then he says, and this has been fulfilled in your hearing today, basically saying, I'm the dude, mic drop, you know, and, and, and they're offended by him. But they had seen the miracles. They'd heard about all the other miracles. They heard his amazing teaching. But placing your faith in the guy who grew up down the street or in your brother, in James' situation, you know, his brother James didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah until after Jesus rose from the dead. That's a far stretch, right? Because that familiarity can breed contempt and it can breed complacency. I want to just take a minute and talk to two groups of people in the, in the audience today. The first group are, are church kids kids who are growing up in the church, or maybe you have grown up in the church. And the second group is just longtime Christians. And I can speak to this because I'm both. I have been in the church for 50 years. I am a longtime church person, longtime Christian. And I grew up in the church. I don't remember ever not being in church. When I was this big, I was on my mom's lap in the front row of church. And so for first, church kids. Church kids, beware. Beware. Because familiarity can, it doesn't have to, but it can breed complacency. Now, I do want to say this. I wouldn't trade growing up in the church for anything. I, I am so grateful that my parents raised me in my faith, raised me in the church. It has saved me so much pain. It has built a strong foundation in my life. It has enabled me to do what I'm doing today in a way that I, I don't know that I would have been able to do it in the same way had, had I not grown up in the church not that you have to grow up in the church to be a pastor, but it's just, it's, it's prepared me. It's, I'm grateful for it. And I fully believe in Proverbs 22, 6, where it says, start children off in the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. I think we're supposed to. So if you have kids and you're raising them and you're bringing them to Sunday school, bring them every week, keep coming back. And you're doing the right thing. But here's the warning to church kids. And I'm telling you from a church kid, it is easy to think you know Jesus because you know his stories. It's easy to think you know Jesus because you've colored all the coloring pages. You've seen the flannel graph story or the, the cartoon about him. But it's very different knowing about Jesus and knowing him as your Lord. It's different having colored, you know, coloring the coloring sheets versus experiencing and walking in the power and the presence of God. They're different things. But that familiarity of knowing the stories, I know the stories. I, I know what you're going to say, Chris, before you say it, because I've heard this one before. I read, you know, when I started reading from Mark chapter 6, you're like, oh yeah, I know that one. I didn't know it was about Mother's Day, but whatever, you know, I know that one. And, and here's how I see this manifest sometimes, because I'm raising some church kids too. 
One, one, one way I see it manifest is there's such a familiarity that there's almost kind of an irreverence about Jesus. Kind of like Jesus is my homeboy kind of thing, you know. There's a whole move, move, I don't know if it's a movement or what it is. On Somewhere on the interweb, there's a whole bunch of, there's a site that is, that is all bad Christian memes, right? And a lot of them are really irreverent about Jesus. And, and, and I know this because I have kids that show me these things and think they're funny, but it's easy to grow so complacent and so comfortable that we are irreverent with with Jesus, uh, and it's easy to grow complacent, right? We mistake what we know about Jesus with knowing him personally. See, if people in, the, in Nazareth knew Jesus as a carpenter, they didn't know him as a Messiah. And if you follow Jesus, if you are, are open to Jesus and have invited him into your life, there's going to come a time in your journey with him that he will declare himself Messiah and Lord, and he will call you to follow him above all else. I think there's a lot of grace for us church kids. Like when I was five, I finally understood that Jesus died for my sins. I believed it. I, I, um, I asked him to come into my life. I was baptized, and I think that was all legit and very real, as much as a five-year-old can understand that. But when I was early on in my college years, Jesus said, I want it all. And I had to get born again again. You know, that's, I think sometimes, sometimes us church kids, we need to get born again again. Our, our, our relationship with God needs to become ours, not our parents. And we have to wrestle. And usually there's a crisis of faith in there. And we need to get born again again. Because if our faith is just the stuff we know and we're just familiar with Jesus, it can not go well for us. People grow up, people who grow up in the church must have a come to Jesus moment somewhere in their adult life where their faith becomes their own. Where we go from Bible stories to the, he is the Lord of everything. Or what goes from our parents' faith to our own faith. And for long-time Christians, we can become complacent as well, can't we? We can become content with good principles to live by and knowing good theology or knowing the Jesus stories or whatever else. And, you know, like I said, I started reading about, started reading this passage, and you're like, oh, yeah, I know that. I know where that's going. And you just kind of tune out, and you start thinking about what you need to get at the grocery store or whatever. And we ride on what we think we know or a prayer that we once prayed, and we neglect the condition of our heart. You know, churches are full of people who are complacent and numb spiritually, and they keep coming because either they want to get blessed, like, well, I mean, I want God to bless my my business or my kids or whatever, or, or they keep coming because they want to keep mom happy. Maybe you're here today because it's, you know, it's Mother's Day weekend and mom wanted you to be here. Well, keeping mom happy, so you just keep coming. Or maybe it's just, a, just kind of an insurance policy. You know, it might be true just in case I'm going to keep going. Or maybe it's because it's familiar and comfortable, not because it's transforming your life. See, familiarity can numb us to our need for total surrender. 
for our need. It can numb us to our need to know him personally, and we'll end up going through the motions, and so many people settle for going through the motions or end up walking away. And in either case, it's not good. And so for church people, longtime church people, and for church kids who've grown up in the church, how's your heart? I've asked that question a few times in this series. How is your heart? You know, Proverbs 22.6 implores us. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. How's your heart? Is Jesus Lord of your heart? Is that relationship with him real? There, there are seasons in our walk with God and times we'll feel it more than others, but are you content with just knowing about Jesus? Or are you leaning into him to know him personally and to know his power and his presence in your life? And, and, and faith is the key that un- unlocks all of that, really. Which brings me to the second point which is this, go ahead and write this down. Faith and belief are not the same thing. Faith and belief are not the same thing. Belief is knowing something in your head. I believe the world is round, right? I I kinda kinda know that. Faith is living out your beliefs with your life. Now the word that in verse six where it says he was amazed at their lack of faith, the Greek word there means both. Because in their culture, if you believe something, you would live out what you believe. That was kind of assumed. In our culture, we have two different words. We have faith and believe. And so you kind of have to tease that out of the language today. But you can have faith without belief. Or no, I'm sorry, you can't have faith without belief. You, you have to have an understanding. Like I, have to, I can't put my faith in Jesus until I understand who Jesus was and what he did. But you can believe without having faith. And that's where a lot of people are today. You know, you can believe that exercise is good for you. There's a lot of people, actually, you read the research or, you know, you know that 99% of the people in our world today would say exercise is good for you. We should exercise. But there are a lot of people who never get off the couch. All right, they believe exercise is good but they don't have faith. They're not living out what they believe. When I was in college, on my dorm floor, there was a guy, a real character, kind of almost like a cartoon character, you know, one of those caricature type people. His name was Donald Miley. And uh, Donald said that he has never eaten a vegetable. He'd never eaten, he doesn't like vegetables. Now he would tell, I don't, I don't think it's true, but you know, at that point I'd never seen him eat a vegetable. And he, he said, you know, he's, he, he believed that vegetables were good for you. There's fiber and, you know, nutrients and all these other things. But he didn't put his faith in vegetables, you know, because <laughs> he didn't, didn't put his money where his mouth was. And faith is living out what we believe. But belief is not faith. I hope that makes sense. You know, we can believe that too much screen time is bad for us, but we still spend 10 hours a day in front of screens, right? There's a disconnect. You can believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And for so many people, it makes absolutely no difference in their life. They're not living it out. They, they believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for their sins, that he rose from the dead and conquered death. But they're just doing their own thing. See, you believe, but you don't have faith. There's a difference. And the Scripture is super 
super clear on this. James, Jesus' half-brother who didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah until after he saw him risen from the dead, writes, writes to the church in James chapter 2 and verse 14. This is what he says. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Such faith, can such faith save them? And the answer to that question, the implied answer to that question is no. Because it's not faith. What, what is it if you have belief, really, because he's wrestling with the same Greek word that means both, but if you really want to interpret this, what, someone who claims to, have, to believe that Jesus is the Son of God but has no deeds to back it up, can such a faith save them? Suppose your brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Belief not lived out isn't faith at all in our modern vernacular. Jesus, well, he goes on, wait a second. In verse 18, he says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by, by my deeds. You believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. He's like, you believe the right things. You believe there's one God. You believe Jesus rose from the dead. You believe he died for your sins. That's all great. But if you're not actually following him and obeying him and putting into practice his teachings, it's not going to make a hill of beans a difference in your life. And in fact, he said, even the demons, you know, I mean, the demons were there. They saw him crucified. They know he died for the sins of the world. They know he, they're not going to be in heaven. And if, if you're riding on the fact that, well, I, you know, I believe that Jesus was, and I, I prayed a prayer, and, and, and it's all good, James would say, you have demon faith. Demons have that faith. They believe that. It's not faith at all. It's just a belief system. And a belief system, although necessary to have the right beliefs, unless we live it out, is not going to change your life or your destiny. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 says something very similarly. Chapter 7, 21 of Matthew, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. This is a hard teaching, isn't it? Because so many of us have kind of put together our own theology over the years that, that you know, all I need to do is pray a prayer and, and I'm in. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you actually have to obey what I'm teaching. You actually have to follow me because that's how faith is expressed and lived out. It's not just believing the right things, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And then in verse 24, he says, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into what? Practice, actually does them, is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. In other words, it's all going to come crashing down because that doesn't work because you didn't actually place your faith in me. You just believe some things about me. Now, I need to make something absolutely clear at this point in the message, and that's this. You can't earn your salvation. 
Your deeds don't get you into heaven. They don't get you into God's kingdom. You can't earn that. Salvation is a gift from God purchased by Jesus Christ on the cross because the wages for your sin was death and he paid. You can't earn it. You can't do enough good deeds. You can't walk enough old ladies across the street. You can't mow enough of your neighbor's lawns. You can't clean up enough trash. You can't follow enough rules. None of that will get you in. It is the grace of God and it is a gift from God. Obeying Jesus doesn't save you. It doesn't earn you salvation. It just proves that you've been saved because when you've been saved by Jesus, then you follow Jesus. And that's how we live out our faith. And we'll never do it perfectly, guys. I sin every day and so do you. But I am committed to following Jesus. I'm committed to giving it my best effort. And we all need to be. And, you know, even though we're not perfect with it, say, Jesus, you're Lord, and I want what you want more than I want what I want. And it's not an earn my salvation thing. It's a gratitude thing. It's a lordship thing. It's a faith thing, living out what you say you believe. Because if you put your faith in Jesus, you're going to follow Jesus. Which brings me to my last point, which is simply this. Write this down. Faith unlocks the power of God. Faith unlocks the power of God. You know, faith isn't ginning up enough emotion to overcome your doubts. That's what people think faith is. You know, like, all right, I, I, I want to be healed, but I don't think God's going to heal me. But if I can just go, okay, he's going to heal me, he's going to heal me. I'm going to just gonna say it even though it's not, it hasn't happened yet. And then we're going to and we work our emotions up to overcome any doubts that we have. And then God has to do it for me. That's not faith, guys. That's not faith. Faith is believing him enough to do what he says. Faith is believing him enough to obey him in all the little aspects of your life. That's faith. And sometimes you're not going to have the emotional, you're going to be like, I kind of doubt it. It says in, in verse five, he, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few people, a few sick people and heal them. And it's verse six, he was amazed at their lack of faith. Now, I, I need to be absolutely 100% clear at this point. God isn't limited by our lack of faith. God's not limited by anything. God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, he's God. But he is moved by the, our abundance of faith. He responds to faith. But not, oh, we're gonna get, yeah, he's going to do it for us. I claim it ahead of time. Blah, blah. No. It's believing him enough to do what he says, even even when it doesn't make sense. Even when we're like, I wouldn't do that. But he said to do that, so I'm going to do that. I've seen God answer my prayers that have had no faith in them whatsoever. And God come through. Now, if I had more faith, I'm, I'm sure it would, it would work better. But, you know, there are times I do and times I don't. Ebbs and flows like the, for the rest of us. But I love Jesus' mustard seed faith principle. You know what I'm talking about, the mustard seed? Jesus said, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, which was the smallest thing that he, they could think of and actually understand, like if you have faith that small, you can move mountains. What did he mean by that? What did he mean by that? If you want to see the power of God in your life, live your faith. And when you get to that next step of faith where Jesus is saying, I want you to do this, do it. That's faith. That's following him. And he rushes into those moments and his presence and his power rushes into those moments. And it might be 
You know, it might be he prompts you to be sacrificially honest or you're just convicted about something like, I, you know, I lied. You ever lie to somebody? You ever in, in the middle of a conversation and you're like, oh, yeah. And it wasn't, oh, yeah. You just completely lied to them, but it was kind of, it was kind of awkward to say anything after the fact. And then God goes, you know, nudges your heart and is like, you need to go apologize to them. <laughs> you trust God enough to do what he says. And you go back and you say, you know what? I lied or I cheated and I need to make it right. And when we do that, God's power rushes into those moments. He is so pleased when we trust him enough to do what he says. Might be in the area of, of our relationships, you know? I mean, how many, how many people over the years, and I used to do college ministry, so I saw this a lot more back then, but, but how many people just want to get married more than anything else in the whole world, and they will blow by the instructions of God to get there? You know, I mean, the scripture is very clear that we're not supposed to be spiritually unequally yoked with somebody. And there are so many people who are like, well, she's not a believer, but maybe she will be if I date her long enough or him if I date him long enough. And, and, um, and, and you know, well, that's really probably God's word makes it clear. Missionary dating is a bad idea. And I can tell you from personal observation, nine times out of 10, that doesn't work out well. I'm not going to say it never works out, but it rarely works out well. And we have regrets on the other side of that, usually, because we wanted what we wanted more than we wanted what God wanted. But I'm telling you, if you make a decision to do what God tells you to do in the area of your relationships, in the area of honesty, whatever, and you make that move, God's power and his presence rushes into those moments. When we, when we listen for the voice of God and the nudges of God and we stop and go, it might feel awkward in the moment. Can I pray for you? Because somebody's hurting and you don't even know if they're a Christian and you do. God rushes into that moment or God says, you need to share your story with them. And you're like, I don't want to share my story with them. And you go and you actually do it. God rushes into that moment when we're willing to, to respond to those nudges of God or, or with our, our finances and, and in our, our giving, you know, this is an area that I see God's power rush into over and over again. And I don't say that because I'm a pastor and I want more of your money. I say that because I have seen it happen over and over and over again. When people hear about tithing for the first time, they're like, what? You know, in case you don't know what tithing is, it's, it's where we take the first 10% of our income. It's a biblical principle that we're taught throughout scripture. We take the first 10% of our income, we give it to God and all of it's God's anyway, but then we get to live on the 90% that's left, right? And, and people are like, I, ca I can't get by on 150%. How am I going to get by on 90%? But the people who trust God enough to do what he said, it's over and over and over again, the power of God rushes into that situation and they find in sometimes miraculous ways they can go way further on 90% with God's blessing and in their obedience to him, then they could go on 150% because the power of God rushes in to those places where faith is lived out. We see the same thing with serving. Guys, we live in a culture where we protect our time, where we don't make commitments because we don't want to be committed to anything too much. 
And when we can push by that and realize as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we were made to serve. We're made to serve one another. We were made to serve in his kingdom. And we make that commitment to do that. And we step out and we serve God. The power of God rushes in. We find purpose. We find him doing things through us that we never thought we could ever do. It's powerful. So let me ask you this. It's the question I've asked a lot in this series. How's your heart? Has it grown complacent with familiarity? Has it grown contemptuous with familiarity? And how's your faith? Do you have a faith you're living out or is it just a belief system, an insurance policy? And are you seeing the power of God at work in your life? And here's my challenge to you. Don't be satisfied with less. I believe today God is calling you to surrender everything, to know him personally, and to follow him not with a belief system. You got to have a belief system, but with faith. You know, I love what Myron said last week about getting the hell out of Wheeling and out of the Ohio Valley. And if you missed that, go back and listen to that online. It was a message worth hearing. But here's what I know. Here's what I know. We're not going to push the hell out of the Ohio Valley. We're not going to overcome the darkness in this valley with belief. Belief isn't going to cut it. Believers aren't going to get it done. It's going to take faith-filled, spirit-empowered Jesus followers. And the power of God will rush into our lives and through our lives and will change us and will change the world through us. You know, I, I, I sense there are some folks here who maybe you've never, never even considered being a Jesus follower. Maybe you considered being a believer. Maybe you're not even a believer, but he's calling you to both. And so there are some people who need to get born again again. And there are some people who just need to get born again for the first time. And I want to invite you to do that. I want to invite you just to pray. Close your eyes, bow your head, and just say, Jesus, I want everything you have for me. I don't want to be one of these people that's just coasting and comfortable. I want to want what you want more than I want what I want. I want to follow you and see your presence and power at work in and through my life. I don't want to be a casual church attender. I want to be a radical world changer. And I want to know you personally. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.